Rise and shine, you Syracuse superfans. It's time to pour yourself a tall, delicious glass of orange fizz. Syracuse recruiting news, insider information, latest SU buzz. The Syracuse blogosphere comes to life on the central New York airwaves. It's Fizz Radio. Okay, a fresh Fizz cast for you here in mid-July. Syracuse football about to amp up with the ACC kickoff coming up in just a couple of days. Jonathan Hoppy back with Tim Leonard here with you. OrangeFizz.net, that's where you can find us. And today, a very exciting edition of the FizzCast as we prepare to head down to Charlotte, North Carolina, an excellent meeting point for the ACC. All the teams will come together. It is the media days. They've changed it to the kickoff. It's a little bit more official, I guess, Tim. But either way, it's still a benchmark. Really the start, the unofficial start of the college football talking season, at least. Yeah, an excellent meeting point for you because you're a Charlotte native, I guess. I guess that's a little biased, but it is going to be a lot of fun. And like you said, I think we've been talking a ton about recruiting up until this point. We've been talking about stars and what this recruiting class means. But I don't know about you, but I'm just excited to start to talk about this football team, X's and O's, break down what we have in this team after 10 wins last year. As we've said, there's a ton to be excited about. And now we're finally getting to that point of the season where we can sort of say, all right, Liberty week one and sort of start previewing these matchups. And it's just a lot of fun to start looking ahead to a team that's coming off a 10-win season with a lot of returning pieces. That's right. It's very fun. I mean, it's time to start getting some takes on the table. Yeah, we've kind we're of been, at that point. It's fine. We've been flirting with some takes here and there, and we've been covering it all for you, orangefizz.net. Don't forget, you can find all of our written content there. You can find these podcasts as well. And if you want to get them on your phone, you can get it at the Apple Podcast Center. You can get it on SoundCloud, pretty much everywhere else that you get your podcast. Make sure to download us, Orange Fizz, and we love those great reviews as well. But this football team, like you said, coming off a 10-win season, 2019, biggest storyline, Tommy DeVito comes in as the quarterback. That's what everybody's talking about. That's what's really driving these predictions. So let's go ahead and get this on paper. We talked about it. Where do you think this team is at right now? Because I'm trending towards 9 or 10 wins. So I have yet to really go through game by game and come to my official determination, but I'd say 9 wins right now is where I'm leaning. And that's because the schedule really isn't that tough when you look at it game by game. Now, obviously, there's some early season sort of benchmark games when you look at a Maryland Week 2 I think we've talked about that a lot, how it could be a trap game, but that's mostly because you've got Clemson the following week, which we all know is the big hyped-up game. But outside of that, and you roll through the ACC schedule, to me, it feels like the ACC is slightly down, and Syracuse is obviously way up compared to what they normally are. So if you won 10 last year, yes, Eric Dungy, huge loss, and it's going to rest a lot on Tommy DeVito's shoulders. But because I believe in DeVito... And because I believe in what Dino Babers is doing, nine wins to me is very realistic. And honestly, an Orange Bowl berth, I know people have flirted with that idea in the past, and it's been brought up. And it might sound foolish at first, and it might sound like we are really just jumping the gun after one good season. But to me, the schedule means a lot. And when you look at the schedule, like I said, there are some tough games at Florida State, but nothing really that makes you think, oh, like, 
That's at a tough NC stretch State there. Too. I mean, there are some right, games but they're in the ACC. Down. There's a lot of down teams in the ACC in my eyes. They're down, but in the past four years, they've been really better than Syracuse. Absolutely. They you can't year. deny that. So it's tough to really say that Dave Doran is going to have a down season. I, I think he will. I, I'm not really high on them at all. But you never really know in the ACC. But you hit the nail on the head with Tommy DeVito. Pretty much anybody that says 9 or 10 wins at this point is high on Tommy DeVito. Yes. And if you watched him last year, we had this debate a couple of weeks ago on Fizz Radio, which you can catch every Saturday, 9 to 10 a.m. on the score 1260 here in Syracuse. We were talking about what we saw from him last year. And I think we saw a little bit of good, a little bit of bad, but overall a guy that looks very capable of taking over the program. His good is, I think, potentially. Now, don't get me wrong here. Eric Dungey was tremendous for this program. Let's say he could be better than Eric yeah, Dungey. I, I think if you don't think that, then that's honestly foolish because he's more talented. He's a better thrower. And that's a system not... that breeds a lot of passes. Right. And I think he fits the Dino system much better than Eric Dungey did. In the case, one case as to. Maybe Syracuse is going to regress. Obviously, the Dungy hole is probably the biggest argument. But another case is, well, let's see if Dino can win with his guys because he kind of inherited a pretty good situation there. He had a senior linebacker in Zaire Franklin his first year. He had a lot of veteran pieces that were at key positions. Obviously, the biggest was Eric Dungy. You inherit a program that, yes, was on the decline, but you have one of the best quarterbacks in the ACC already to kind of test the waters with you didn't have the pressure of all right I gotta go find my quarterback but he the quarterback he found is Tommy DeVito and to me he fits the system better and he has a higher potential and I do think there's going to be some growing pains and like you said last year there was inconsistency but I really don't see why you wouldn't go into this year and not put faith in him after what we saw in games like UNC last year the national media is hesitating just a little bit but I do think, pretty much agree with everything you said. I think he fits the system well. I actually think he's going to be more of a running quarterback than people think. I think he's going to get out and run the ball. I don't think he's going to be as ambitious as Eric Dungy. That's not his strength. But I do see him scrambling for some first downs. I mean, he's not going to be a strictly a pocket quarterback. And that's something that I think can benefit him a lot. And it also can benefit the offensive linemen knowing that, for the most part, he's going to be in the pocket more, which will make it a little bit easier to protect him. At the end of the day, though, Tommy DeVito is a guy who could be incredible. Yes. His ceiling seems to be really high. His, for me, pocket presence is where he's going to have to grow this year. Because when I think of him last year, now, again, it was spot minutes, and a lot of times it's – you think of that Notre Dame game. It's like, all right, Tommy, like, let's feed you to the Wolves here. Our team's down. We're all playing terrible. I have no momentum. Quarterback just went down, like, one of the best teams in the country on the other side. So it's feeding him to the Wolves in a lot of scenarios. But to me, when I think of him, it's throwing the deep ball. He loves to throw down the field. And also just sort of throwing to that first primary target, not really reading through his options, maybe as much as you'd like to see. And, you know, will he have the time to constantly be able to do that with the offensive line that's going to have to fill some new pieces that this year? That's another slight question mark in my eyes. And I think that's a group that maybe is underlooked in terms of, you know, that's going to be a transition period. The offensive line has to fill holes there. And we forget just how consistent they were last year, especially in games like Clemson. 
So to me, it's pocket presence because with him last year, he showed a lot of signs of being a freshman quarterback, but a freshman quarterback with a great arm and a lot of talent. And now you have to kind of become a sophomore quarterback with a great arm and also some good field awareness in my eyes. And that's that next step that he needs to take. And it's realistic that he didn't really get there last year to the degree that he can get there because he was just a freshman. Let's talk about where this all stands right now and what this all means heading into the ACC kickoff. So for those of you that don't know, Wednesday is the first day of the event, technically Tuesday, but the players don't get there until Wednesday. So it's just really a two-day media day session where the SEC seems to be going for two or three weeks these these days, (laughs) but it's actually five or six days, which is still incredible when you think about it. But the ACC, that's how they do it. Wednesday, the Atlantic, they'll be there. Tommy DeVito, Kendall Coleman, Dino Babers, those are the guys. So each team brings their guys down, and they'll go up to the podium, then they'll break off and meet with reporters in smaller roles. They'll do their radio stuff and all, all a bunch of other things, and we'll have all the updates for what we can get down there for you at Orange Fizz on Twitter. But those guys are going to be asked questions, and if I had to imagine, the questions are going to be a lot. Let's stick offense for a second. Yeah, It's going to be Tommy DeVito, what's he like, maybe in comparison to Eric Dungy, what a loss is that, right. what have you changed and it's also going to be, you got a couple of good transfers. Tristan Jackson, Abdul Adams made some noise in the Camping World Bowl, and then also maybe some offensive line replacement. Sure. But then, too, you've got some budding wide receivers. So I think that's what people are going to key in on. And for me, the biggest question is, who's going to get the touches at running back? Because they are loaded at that position. Right. So the spring game depth chart that came out right around that time Mo Neal was listed at the top, as we expected. Jarvion Howard was second, and then it put Orr Abdul Adams, who was below Jarvion Howard, but you'd assume that means kind of Howard and Adams were fighting for that two spot. To me, Adams probably has the most potential when you just look at what he did in high school, what he came in in terms of recruiting rankings, which don't necessarily mean everything, but he does have the most potential to me. Mo Neal is the guy that's going to get the touches week one, week two, week three. I think it's his job and his primary job, but I do think Adams is going to continue to creep up. And then it, it becomes, where does Jarvion Howard fit into this? Because those are three guys that are all very talented and you can't phase out Jarvion Howard from this offense. And I don't think they will because he presents a different skill set. You'll probably use him at the goal line a little bit more. He's just got a bigger build. But it's going to be tough to kind of keep everyone happy in that backfield. Adams came here from Oklahoma, transfers as a four-star guy, and I'm sure the pitch to him to get him to come here was you can kind of be a workhorse in our offense down the road. So you don't want him to get unhappy. Mo Neal's a guy that's been getting touches ever since he was a freshman, has played consistently pretty well. There was talks of him wide receiver last year, and I know that kind of phased out, but... He had a good season. He had a good season, so you can't really downgrade him. And Howard, I think, was exceeded expectations in his freshman it year. It feels like Neal and Howard together equal Abdul Adams. That's the kind of vibe I get. It seems like Adams is more of a versatile back. Right. And from all reports, he really impressed at spring camp. Yeah. And he looked really good, really physical, also has the speed. We know about the... Yards per touch at Oklahoma, crazy numbers up so, towards 10 yards. He's really capable. The question becomes, 
do you keep riding with Mo Neal and Jarvion Howard, who do have a little bit more experience in the offense? And like you said, week one, you'll probably see Mo Neal right. out there, say, the first drive. I'd say it's likely that he's the starter and he's out there for pretty much first and second down, and then we'll see what happens on third. Yeah, I mean, I think Adams is going to get a good amount of touches week one. But the question here is, when they play Duke at Duke midway through the season, or when they're on to week seven, week eight, who is the starting back? And I really do think by that point, we're going to see mostly Adams in the backfield. And I think fans are going to be clamoring for him because people buy into, all right, we haven't had a good running back in a while here with this program. My thing is, we really don't know if he's the answer. I think he's gotten a lot of praise, but what does this guy do in a system where he is supposed to be the feature back? Because that was not the case at Oklahoma. He was always second or third fiddle. That's why he's transferred. So can he handle that weight? It's not an easy thing to do. And, you know, Mo Neal and Howard, those are two really good backs coming off good seasons. It's going to be tough to keep everyone happy there. And... You know, you hear a ton about, in regards to Abdul Adams, I can't remember the exact number that it was, but everyone loves to bring up his yards per carry at Oklahoma, which was off the charts. But like you said, it was playing second and third fiddle, where you're not getting a bulk of the carries. So we can't assume that he's going to be the answer, but kind of like DeVito, you see the potential there. And I think everyone's going to be so quick to jump to the conclusion that he needs to get the touches. And I could see a world where they're playing Clemson week three and Moniel's getting a lot of the touches and people are saying to Dino, why, you know, fans are saying watching the game at home, why isn't Abdul Adams getting touches? That's going to be a conversation on Twitter potentially because even what he did in the Camping World Bowl, he didn't do a whole lot. He just sort of ran behind his blockers and right place, right time, got a touchdown or two. I can't remember the exact stat line. He looked good. And so did Tristan Jackson. We'll talk about him some. But people went nuts. People were like, we finally have a back here in Syracuse. This guy's the answer. And let's not jump all the way in the pool yet. I mean. Okay, yeah. So you're kind of with me. I mean, let's take a step back a little bit. Yeah. But this guy is not, you know, walking on water. But I do think he's the long-term answer. Like, do you think he is starting at Duke midway through the season? There's a good chance, yes. I can't fully commit to it just because I want to see what he does in the first two games. And I know that's the whole point of July football conversations, (laughs) get some takes on the table. I'm not ready to make that one yet. I actually lean more towards Mo Neal, and I just don't think Jarvion Howard's going away. I really don't. I think he was too good, and I think he's too big of an asset to take him out of this offense. And I feel like if Adams is your guy, you're kind of taking Jarv out of it. So it's going to be Are interesting. You know, I, I don't know if I agree with that. I feel like Howard will always have a role, whether it's – and maybe it won't be to the degree that To we, me, I see him as third fiddle if Adams is good. Right, but he'll probably get a lot of the touchdown runs, a lot of the goal line carries maybe. I would say Adams can fit that category. That's yeah, My thing is I feel right. like Adams eats – He's very versatile. Adams eats Howard's minutes – where Mo Neal is still, you know, I think it was Phil Steele who put in his preview book that Mo Neal is the home run threat, yet he only had X amount of runs over 40 yards, which was pretty funny. <laughs> but that's kind of what people think of the guy, and he's got the speed for it. And if you get him in the right situations, he can be. Really, Jarvion Howard's biggest rival is Abdul Adams. 
Yeah, the thing with Mo Neal is last year he got touches because he provided a different style to Dante Strickland. He was who more, fans were just sick of, right? And and that is a whole other story. I I never really got the hate on Strickland because he was a good blocker and he did a lot of good things that maybe just didn't pop off the page at you. Neil had more of that breakaway speed, more of that highlight reel stuff. This year, Adams kind of has some of the Neil characteristics too. So there is a world where we just don't see much of Mo Neal in the backfield getting carries by the end of the season. I think that's a possibility. And I still think it's kind of weird that they thought about him at wide receiver last year. I don't know if maybe down the road he becomes more of a pass-catching third down back and we see a lot of Adams. Like I said, I don't think there's any world where he isn't getting, Neil isn't getting his share of the carries early on in the season. I just think the Adams potential is there and fans are going to want it. And if we see some Adams growth throughout the season, it's going to be hard to keep everyone happy there. Those are some of the biggest questions. I want to shift the defense in a second, but before we do that, let's talk about these receivers. I mean, Taj Harris, Tristan Jackson, people really high on them. A lot of my questions this week for Dino, I just want to ask him about Ed Hendricks. What's this guy yeah. like coming back from injury? Who are we going to see on the outside? Because you talk about a crowded room, and I know Syracuse loves to throw the ball, and there's plenty of options at wide receiver. But you list off Sean Riley, Nikeem Johnson, Jackson, Harris, Ed Hendricks. The list goes on and on. Even of a guys. Cameron Jordan. Sure, Anthony Queeley. There's just a ton That's of guys a guy, out there. Queeley might be the forgotten man. I mean, Hendricks is probably the forgotten man right. of this group. But to me, Queeley and Hendricks are kind of in that same camp where it's just a mystery. And would it shock me if they became somewhat of a focal point and they kind of had relatively nice seasons for what we're expecting right now and be kind of surprises in the offense? No, because they have the talent. We know that. We just don't really know, especially with Hendricks, we just don't know about his health and where he's going to be at as the season progresses. Right. So let's find out. Those are some of the questions that we're going to answer this week down in Charlotte for the ACC kickoff. Jonathan Hoppy, Tim Leonard with you here. It's the FizzCast as we get ready to set sail for North Carolina this week and get you all the coverage from the Queen City as we really start to amp up. You're not going to want to miss our Fizz Radio episode. That's coming this weekend, 9 to 10 a.m. on the Score 1260. We'll also have it for you on all of our podcast platforms. That's going to be an in-depth look at exactly what happened. We'll talk about our takeaways We'll even give you a standings update. We've got to vote and figure out where these teams are going to finish in the Atlantic and the Coastal. We'll just go ahead and share our votes with you. And there's also a lot of other battles like best offensive player in the ACC, specialist, and all that Spoiler, stuff. Spoiler, Trevor Lawrence. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. That, that, you know, Trevor Lawrence is actually not going to this event. Yeah, that's weird. Dabo is not bringing Trevor Lawrence, which... It's tough for the conference, but I guess you can understand you want to protect your sophomore quarterback. Yeah, I mean, and he's not a leader, but he should be. I'm right? happy Dino, right? I'm happy Dino's bringing Devito because it's kind of. I mean, not to compare Devito to Trevor Lawrence, obviously one's a national champion, but I guess there could have been a case like, oh no, Dino, let's not bring Devito down there quite yet. He's only a sophomore, right. but but you got he's got to be the leader the of this car. team, right? right. Eric Dungy was down there the past two years. This year, it's Tommy DeVito. And we'll get to ask him some questions. And his offensive line, a little bit, you know, not the biggest question mark this year. Obviously, people aren't going to love talking about the offensive line. 
but there is some stability. There's a lot of shifting going on. Ryan Alexander, that's a guy I think we're both curious about. I think yeah. it almost seems like that people assume Alexander is going to come in at left tackle and just replace the production that we got from the outside at the tackle position last year. Or I don't really think great production. that's going to be as easy as you think. That's probably maybe my biggest, like, week one, I'm going to be focused on that. I'm going to be watching Ryan Alexander, even though it's against Liberty. Week two, I'm still going to be focused on that left tackle even position. Even the right side. I mean, if it's Aaron Service at right tackle, like everyone thinks it's going to be, and we'll mention we'll get a new depth chart this week as well. So last year, that's where we found out about the nickel position, too, and Antoine Just... Cordy. So. Who knows? We could get a bombshell, but if service is at right tackle, I mean, dude played center last year. Yeah, it's a big transition for sure. I think O-line is the biggest question mark on the offense, right? I mean, we know what we're getting in the wide receivers, and if anything— The skill position, I mean, it's loaded. It's, it's loaded. completely there's, loaded. If anything, there's too many guys, like we were touching on with the running this back. This has got to be the best skilled group that Syracuse has had, definitely under Babers, maybe a decade. yeah. I mean, maybe more. And they're all young, too, which is really exciting. For the yeah. most part, they're very, young. There's very Sean Riley and some veterans in there. but What you need. Right. The big name guys are going to be here for a while. And that's why it's so exciting to be able to follow this program where it is at right now. But I don't know. For me, where do you think the balance is going to be offensively this year? You think they're going to lean more on the run? than we saw in the past because maybe you get, and I guess that kind of depends on what we see from Adams. See, the thing is, last year the running game was really good, and it's something that not a lot of people talked about. You wanted to talk about the passing, but Eric Dungy accounted for a lot of those rushing yards. So now there's more of an onus on the running backs, and then Tommy DeVito as well. I don't know if they're going to call his number. That's something I kind of want to talk about this week, and then we'll see more of it in preseason camp. But they've got to find a way to replace the production of Eric Dungy because think about Louisville. He did a ton. ACC games on the road. You go down to play Duke, who's going to be ready for you. They seem to be ready for every opponent. You're going to have to run the ball. I mean, you cannot be a one-dimensional attack and think you're going to march on to the Orange Bowl. There's reason to believe that the running game will be better, but a lot of that hinges on the offensive line. And obviously a lot of can Tommy DeVito get – some poise in the pocket hinges on the offensive line too. So a lot of what we're talking about comes down to left tackle and right tackle in my eyes and really the whole offensive line group. But when you look at left tackle, Ryan Alexander, he's a guy from South Alabama, right? So what do we know? We know that he's, we know he hasn't played major D one ball, right? We know that he's coming in. Yeah. We know that he's coming in. He was an all conference guy down in South Alabama and he's probably going to get the starting job. And there's reason to believe that maybe he will fit right in. Coda Martin was from a different program, obviously, from a much higher stature program, but he fit in and did a nice job last year. So there's a template there. To me, though, it's kind of careless at this point to just assume we're going to get that production right away from Ryan Alexander. That's a key position. That's where I'm going to look at week one and two and see how's Alexander doing at one of the most important positions on the offense. He's a big unknown right now and it could be for better it could be for worse you can't replace coda martin and cody conway and just think everything's going to be sunshine and rainbow so that's certainly something to watch how about the defensive side of the ball it all starts on the line of scrimmage we saw a post the other day out there that lists syracuse as the best defensive line 
in the ACC. That's some high praise. Now, another area where maybe pump the brakes a little bit because you you, you lose a guy like Chris Slayton on the interior, that's another loss, and you're going to have to find someone to step up. The good news is you got the outside guys. you got Kendall Coleman and Elton Robinson. Boy, I mean— Doesn't get one, much better than that. Well, the one thing you worry about is— both of them had double-digit sack seasons. If it wasn't, it was very close. Can they replicate? Can they do that again? Well, you wonder how much of that production for them last year was Chris Sladen kind of causing some attention towards the middle. And now you've got a nose tackle in Josh Black. That's what was on the depth chart in the spring. Right. Maybe that'll Question change. Mark. I mean, he's a guy shifting towards the inside. Yeah, and McKinley Williams, people sleep on him. He had a good year. He did have a good year. I think Black is another position, kind of like Alexander, where it's like, all right, maybe no one's really talking about him. We're just kind of assuming that role will be filled. But, I mean, those are two big positions that you're filling. And left tackle and defensive tackle interior line because Chris Slayton, as we know, was their guy last year. He's the only guy that got drafted in the NFL from this team last year. That says something about the type of player that he is. And I don't think he went underrated here, but there's reason to believe that maybe Coleman and Robinson's sack production will go down with Black and Williams in the interior and not a Slayton. And it does feel like Black has kind of been on the cusp of taking that leap for a couple years and that could be a big part of that defense and how much success they have if he does take that leap and if he does kind of continue his growth. Kenneth Ruff, he's another guy that really made some flashy plays last year. I feel like if you're a hardcore Syracuse football fan, you know Kenneth Ruff's name. It seems like a fun player. he made a couple of big sacks. I mean, he was certainly fun to watch. I'm excited to see him. He was listed on the second team in that depth chart. So maybe we get some movement there. I don't think that's a, a sealed job for Josh. That's Black. one of the biggest like fighting for camp positions. In right. My eyes. I thought rough was the leader in the clubhouse at the end of the year. Yeah. I mean, he, like you said, he seemed to have more of those plays that was like, Oh, there's Kenneth again. But I don't know. I mean, obviously that might not be looking at a keen eye at the interior line all the time. Linebacker. That's where the questions are. Last year I was down there. That's what everyone was talking about. Replacing guys like Zaire Franklin, Paris Bennett, we knew that wasn't going to be easy for Syracuse, yet they really did a pretty good job. So I think maybe that has people a little bit more relaxed, knowing that there are some options, and a guy like Andrew Armstrong returns, who's really on pace to have a good breakout season, if you will. He's going to be giving the opportunity. Lakeem Williams, another guy. There are some names and those freshmen stick out as well that you think can plug in. But at the end of the day, that's the biggest hole in the defense, and it's not even close. Absolutely. And I think really the run game, I think a team is going to look at Syracuse and say, maybe game plan to run a little bit more, especially early on with these unproven linebackers. The good news is both those guys you just named, Armstrong Williams, they're both seniors. So it's not like they haven't been around the block. They haven't learned the playbook. They haven't transitioned to this Dino style of defense and what Ward is trying to bring to the program there as a defensive coordinator. That's the good news. The bad news is, like you said, it's not Zaire Franklin. It's not Paris Bennett from two years ago. And it's also not really proven options there. I think Armstrong is going to be good. I do have some concerns, though, about Williams and 
and maybe just the overall consistency of that unit when you don't have a quote-unquote guy that's returning from the starting group last year. The freshmen are really interesting because similar to Adams, you could see fans kind of hoping that they get some minutes, but freshman linebacker, man, that's a tough position to slide into, and that's no easy I mean, you put the freshman in a game against Maryland week two, Clemson week three, they might be prone to some mistakes. So I would maybe pump the brakes, even though they are talented. And we've got, you know, a couple guys that are four stars. I wouldn't even say prone. I just say likely to yeah, make mistakes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, linebacker, especially in that Tampa two sort of zone heavy defense that they're running, it feels like that's a huge position. For a lot of areas and you kind of have to have knowledge of what you're doing with that specific system and i'm sure they're prepping those freshmen but it's going to take some time as good as those guys are they're the two biggest recruits from this most recent class and still i would not be so sure that they're going to slide in and be positive contributions right away linebackers that's the question who's going to step in and who's going to play there's really only two spots when you consider that nickel that Trill Williams fig- figures to play at a lot this season. That could always change. All this is subject to change, too, which will be interesting to see that updated depth chart to make sure there weren't any major changes over the summer before preseason camp picks up in August. The backfield, the defensive backfield, is very strong. Now, something that you and I have talked about a lot, there seem to be a lot of missed open field tackles last year. Even Andre Sisco, who as good as he was, yeah. if you go back and watch the tape of the Clemson game specifically, a couple of times that number 19, the freshman for Syracuse, was pointed out. It's nitpicky maybe because obviously they were really good last year. And in college football in general, there's a lot of missed tackles in the secondary. There are a lot of big plays. It's tough to make open yeah, field tackles. It's really hard. I'm, I'm not sitting here saying I could do it. I mean, we're on the couch right now. So I, I would I would agree that's really hard to do, and it is a nitpicky thing. But, I mean, it's cause for concern based on what we saw last year. And this is still a young secondary sort of. I mean, Trill Williams and Cisco played beyond their years last year. But they still haven't you know, been around the block for more than just one year. And they're going to be thrusted into an even bigger role this year. I think the secondary might be maybe a touch overrated right now. And that might sound wrong coming because we know Cisco's an All-American and everything. The interception numbers maybe inflated our perception of him just a little bit in my eyes. Obviously, you got to give him credit for getting interceptions. That requires a certain knack for being around the ball, which is a huge skill of being a safety. And he seemed to always be right place, right time. But a lot of them were just that. They were right place, right time. And when you do lead the country in interceptions, it's hard not to be acknowledged as an All-American. I'd like to see him sure up some open field tackling a little bit. And I think he will, and I think he'll be fine. But I do think the secondary is maybe not as much of a sure thing especially when you consider if they go against a quarterback like a Trevor Lawrence, and that's the good news. They don't play a ton of high-notch quarterbacks in my eyes, at least what we know right now based on the ACC and everything. But if you have a quarterback that can kind of pick apart their zone-style defense, zone-heavy, it could get ugly. I mean, NC State, look at them last year. They kept throwing to Kelvin Harmon, and they kept executing. It wasn't rocket science. It felt like they just had two guys, Ryan Finley and Kelvin Harmon, that were a notch above what they normally see. 
and they scored 41 points, and it was a track meet. And Syracuse matched them, and they won that game. But on the road, they kept scoring against Syracuse, and it was always to Kelvin Harmon, and Syracuse didn't have an answer for it. So when you go against top dogs, that's where maybe the secondary could get a little exposed and be a little overrated. That's the biggest question for the secondary is can they have the same season? And remember, they were great last year. The secondary year. and the defensive line work in concert, if you will. They work together to make the offense second guess. It put pressure on the quarterback to be there in coverage because any zone defense is not going to be any good without a pass rush. Absolutely. No matter you're bringing four, five, six, three, whatever you're bringing, you've got to get pressure on the quarterback. So as we head into this ACC kickoff this week, these are a lot of the things we're keeping an eye on. But also remember, and Tim, this is something, I've been there the past two years. This will be three straight. The past two I was at, when Syracuse was up, a lot of the media members tended to kind of go to the bathroom or maybe yeah. go downstairs to the buffet. Last year it was more than was there two years ago. And some of it is on timing. We don't know at what point in the day they're going to be available. But that's an insult. And it's something that players, coaches were asked about in the breakout rooms. Did you notice? Blah, blah, blah. It's hard not to. This year, though, how could you leave? I right. mean, if you're a national writer who focuses a lot on the ACC, it's a top 20 how team. could you leave? And this is also, what are they going to be asking about? Clemson. This is also the start of the talking season, as we call it, the quote-unquote talking <laughs> the take season. season. Right, whatever you want to call it. People are going to start talking about Clemson, and it's Dino Baber's job to keep his team focused on Liberty, then Maryland, then Clemson. And not Absolutely. on the Orange Bowl, but on game by game. You, you hear it from the best coaches. That's something that I want to ask, is how do you keep your team focused on these games ahead? Maybe he'll just say, well, it's one game at a time. Or maybe he'll say, hey, it's tough. When you got Clemson, everything on campus going on, potentially game day. But we'd like to see. I'm just interested. I am too. What's the media turnout going to be like? You got to think they'll be there and they'll have plenty of questions. That's honestly one of the biggest things that I'm going to try and take away from this event is what's the national perception of this program right now? We're kind of in a bubble sort of here. I mean, for lack of a better term. We're around this team all all day, every day, it feels like, and we're consuming a lot of it. We know about Tommy DeVito, but does the general fan, the college football fan in Pennsylvania that's not an ACC fan maybe, know that Syracuse has another quarterback that could be really good stepping up? I want to kind of get a gauge of the national perception from the national writers, ACC writers, and I think it's going to be really interesting. I'm going to pick your brain because, like you said, you've been there in the past when they're coming off four and eight seasons. I want to see, according to you, how many people left after the four and eight seasons when Syracuse stepped to the podium versus this year. How drastic is that going to be in terms of the national buzz around the team? You'd expect it to be pretty high, but then again, I mean, it's just one year. So maybe it's not as high as we perceive it to be right now, kind of in this bubble. We've got all that coming to you this week. An exciting time. Tim and I heading down to Charlotte. We'll be going down I-81 this week. We've got a long drive ahead of us, but you know what? It's worth it to figure out what the national media, national everybody, yeah. anyone across the country, what are they saying about Syracuse, and does the media give the Orange a little bit more respect when they pick where these teams are supposed to finish? That's what's going to be fun as well. 
and we get to vote on that, and we'll break that down. Fizz Radio, it's coming to you this weekend, Saturday, 9 to 10 a.m. on the score 1260. We'll also put it up online. We'll get an article out on our website, orangefizz.net. Pretty much, Tim, you're not going to want to miss it because we are going to bring you the best coverage that we know how, and we've got two people down there, and we're going to make it happen, and we really hope you join us for the ride. Let me just say, and I know I've said this pretty much every time we've done one of these podcasts this summer, but... I am so excited for football, man. Like, it is so great to have this. And it's just weird because, I mean, we we sat here and talked for 40 minutes just about the season, and there's nothing really to talk about. But that's the buzz around this program right now, and I don't think anyone should take that for granted. It's really cool what Syracuse has going right now as a football program. And compared to last year, it's light years ahead. And we'll see how much of that national perception changes. And it picks up this week, too. When Clemson comes to the podium, you know Dabo's going to get asked about Syracuse. And that's awesome. A that's week so three cool. matchup, he'll probably say some nice things because Dabo has tended to do that in right. the past. He's definitely praised them in the past. I, I don't know. It's just like I could talk on and on about this football team right now. And we're getting closer and closer, and it still feels far away. But before you know it, they'll suit up the pads for Liberty. And then all of a sudden it's Clemson, and that's obviously the most hyped game in what feels like two decades. So there's so much fun to be had this year, and we're just getting into that kind of heart of the offseason where it's going to just go full speed ahead. Okay, so until this weekend, that's it for Tim and I. But don't forget to join us, orangefizz.net, Twitter, at orangefizz. We'll have photos, we'll have quotes, we'll have videos, interviews, everything you could possibly want, and it culminates with Fizz Radio this weekend. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you from the Queen City, Charlotte, North Carolina.